You're listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Dion Cordova of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel. But it's God who stimulates this curiosity. He leverages whatever He can to pull us in, whether they're miracles or testimonies or friends or even circumstances in our life that kneecap us, that we're at that place where we finally look up. God will leverage whatever. He will leverage all those things. And he especially leverages this in our life. Everybody say what it is. It's what the Holy Spirit. It's hard to get excited about doing things that don't interest you. Sometimes you do them out of a sense of obligation or responsibility, but your heart is definitely not in it. Well, God doesn't want you to feel this way about a relationship with Him. Today, Pastor Dion shares that God makes you curious about Him and draws you to Himself through various people and circumstances. Not only that, but He also initiates connection with you, erasing any doubt of His desire to be a central part of your life. Now here's Pastor Dion in the book of Luke chapter 19 with today's edition of The Simple Truth. Well, guys, in our passage in Luke chapter 19, Jesus was surrounded by an entourage of people as he was walking to Jerusalem from Galilee. Jesus did a whole lot of his ministry, not all of it, but a lot of ministry in this area called Galilee. And on various occasions, he traveled throughout all of Israel. But this is his last journey to Jerusalem. Everybody say his last journey. This is his last journey to Jerusalem. So Jesus actually crossed the Sea of Galilee, came over into the Decapolis, and he will spend a lot of time here in Perea in this last journey to Jerusalem. He crossed the fords of the Jordan where Joshua led the children of Israel across that, the fords of Jordan. And right after he crossed the fords of the Jordan there, What happened is Jesus came across a rich young ruler. Everybody say rich young ruler. I mean, right after he crossed the Jordan River just a little way, Jesus was approached by a rich young ruler, a young up-and-coming temple priest. And the rich young ruler had been good all of his life. Everybody say the word santito. Uh, You know, that was him. He had been good all of his life, a, a saint. But he wanted to know if being good was good enough to get into heaven. And he wanted to know the security of salvation. And so he asked Jesus. Jesus answered that man, the rich young ruler. Jesus answered that believing and following him, following Jesus, was the only security to heaven. And everybody say, aha. So here's a guy who had been good, been an up-and-coming priest, had lived his life on the level, but wasn't sure if being good was good enough to get into heaven. So here's Jesus is coming over into his area. He races out, meets Jesus across the Jordan River, and he asks him the question, is being good good enough? And Jesus says, no, believing in me is the only true security of heaven. 
trying to deserve, work, or earn your way in is as impossible as getting the camel through an eye of a needle. I mean, you can squeeze and you can stretch and you can strain, but it's impossible. Everybody said it's what? It's impossible. Faith in Jesus is the only way into heaven. Jesus made it clear. In fact, Jesus had emphasized this before. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, here's what Jesus said. Read it with me. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's read that last line again. Except through me. And the Apostle Paul also emphasized it like this, that Jesus is the only way and salvation is only by Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this. Read it with me. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not from works so that no one can boast. Look at your neighbor and say, I get it. So Jesus gives the answer. Our security to our salvation is not found in our works. Being good is not good enough. It is believing and following Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus goes from that particular encounter and he walks a little bit further. And just outside of the city limits of Jericho... There is a designated worship area. There's a rest stop, so to speak, for the pilgrims that travel from the north to Jerusalem. Because it is a 14-mile, 1,700-foot incline from Jericho to Jerusalem. You see it. And there's a rest area right before that, and it's designated, and I mentioned this last week, it's designated also as a worship area. Everybody say that out loud. Or what? A worship area. See, it's at this particular location that it's prescribed that you sing the Psalms of Ascent. It's Psalm 121 that says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, and you see the hills at the very top of that particular plateau is where Jerusalem is. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord in Jerusalem. So as Jesus had walked right outside the city limits of Jericho to this rest area, to this designated worship spot with this whole entourage, everybody begins to sing the psalm of ascent. I lift up my eyes to the hills. And that's when a blind beggar, Everybody said a what? A blind beggar began to call out to Jesus using a messianic title. Saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They were trying to sing a psalm of ascent. And he was interrupting as he found out who was there, who the celebrity was in the group, in the entourage. And he starts crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man was implying that God isn't in the temple up there. He's right here among us. We said the blind man saw more than all of them, right? What the blind man was implying is he was saying, Jesus, I believe, I acknowledge, I surrender, have mercy on me. 
And here's what Jesus did. Jesus healed the blind beggar that day and gave him sight. And the blind man, or the healed man now, followed Jesus leaping and praising God. And that's a good place for an applause. Woo! Right? Wow, what? What a day. God isn't up there in Jerusalem. He's right here. And then Jesus obliges them and proves that God is there with them by healing this blind beggar and giving him his sight. I can imagine the excitement and the energy, don't you? Now, news of the miracle, news of Jesus and this miracle ended up getting to Jericho ahead of the entourage. Because this took was taking place at the rest area. There's a blind man shouting and praising God and high fives. This is a wonderful thing. And somebody must or a few people must have run into Jericho and started telling people about what was happening. And of course, Jesus moving with an entourage is moving slowly. And as he comes into the city limits or he comes into Jericho, he finds out that the news of the miracle had reached them before he even got there. Now, to most of the residents that lived in Jericho, they were priests. Everybody say the word. They were what? They were priests. And to these priests that lived in Jericho, Jesus was public enemy number one. He was a heretic, a deceiver, a magician for all they knew. Most of them lined the streets there in Jericho in protest, not praise. They came out of resentment and not respect. Now, one of the residents there in Jericho was vertically challenged, all right? He couldn't see over the crowd. I mean, it was the scourge of his life, being a short person. It was the scourge of his life. I'm sure that he went through grade school being called names. They called him midget and bite size and chico, chopo. They called him knee high. They called him shorty. They called him tater tot, short stack, fun size. They called him half pint. He was always the first to be criticized and the last to be picked, this guy. Most of his life, he had been belittled and overlooked until this little guy got a big job. He got a job with Roman muscle that was always by his side. Zacchaeus, is his name, was a tax collector. Say it out loud, a what? A tax collector. So here's this guy who had been picked on most of his life because he was short. You know, he lives there in Jericho. Jesus is coming through, but he can't see over the crowd. Let's read it. Chapter 19. Here we are, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. Everybody read it. For he was short of short stature. Yeah, I heard some of you say, oh. Now, he's a tax collector, though. 
See, two Jews, tax collectors, were the scum of the earth. They rank right up there with drug lords and pedophiles. The worst of sinners. Go ahead and do it. But don't really spit it. Just tax collectors. I mean, they were the worst of sinners, according to the Jews. You know, Zach or Zacchaeus was vulgar, immoral, and rude, and a violent man. But when he heard that Jesus was passing through, something on the inside stirred his, and everybody say the word, curiosity. Here's a guy who betrayed his people, his country, his God by being a tax collector. He is hard, calloused, violent, rude, ruthless. And he hears that Jesus is passing through. And something stirs his curiosity. Everyone has an instinct of curiosity. Sometimes curiosity is stimulated by our intellect. The need to know what and how. Kind of like why the sun lightens our hair but darkens our skin. Why do doctors call what they do practice? Why do they sterilize the needles for lethal injections? And who tastes the dog food when it has a new and improved flavor? Huh? Curiosity. Everybody said curiosity. Intellectual curiosity. I was very curious as a kid and I probably you know, really stressed my parents. I can remember by being six or seven, we walked into the famous Michael's Kitchen in Taos, and we're walking in to have a meal with, well, I'm walking in with my family, and they had a big, big picture of an, a Native American guy holding a rifle, with full warrior colors and everything, and, and, and I asked my dad who that guy was. You know, I was curious, who's the guy on the painting? And my dad made this elaborate story that he was an uncle of ours, I, I think that's maybe where I get my imagination. But anyway, my dad tells me this story. For the longest time, I thought I was Native American um, until I did that DNA test. Turns out I'm a gypsy, a Greek gypsy. But anyhow, here we go. Curiosity. Sometimes it's stimulated by intellect. Sometimes curiosity is stimulated by our flesh, the need to experience Look at your neighbor and say, I know what that's like. Just go ahead and look at your neighbor, because you probably have gone way too far over the edge with that one, right? And be careful with that curiosity, because that's the curiosity that killed the cat. Huh? But then there's also sometimes curiosity is stimulated by God. So sometimes it's our intellect that stimulates it. Sometimes it's our flesh that stimulates it. But sometimes our curiosity is stimulated by God. It's a divine stir. Everybody said out loud, what? A divine stir. And when it comes to Jesus and salvation, God is the instigator of our curiosity. In fact, Jesus explained it like this in John chapter 6, verse 44. Read it with me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. God is the instigator. When it comes to Jesus and salvation, God is the instigator of the curiosity in us. 
Because by ourselves, we are not attracted to Jesus and salvation. You know, preachers and churches make us nervous, anxious, uncomfortable. You remember the feeling, right? Sit there the whole time sweating like a mule going through customs. You know what I'm saying? I see when folks from our church introduce me to their families who, you know, are not church people or not Christians. I see how nervous people get around a pastor or preacher or anything like that. I've gone to church once or, or twice, they say. By ourselves, we're not attracted to Jesus and salvation. In fact, we tend to show hostility towards preachers and church. I don't need them, we say. I'm fine. I'm not that bad. Or we say, I like my life. You remember the act. Defending, rationalizing, justifying. Look at your neighbor and say, you member. You look at him and say, you member. But God leverages any and everything he can to pull us in. We had no attraction to God or to salvation. We were fine the way we were. But it's God who stimulates this curiosity. He leverages whatever he can to pull us in, whether they're miracles or testimonies or friends or even circumstances in our life that kneecap us, that we're at that place where we finally look up. God will leverage whatever. He will leverage all those things. And he especially leverages this in our life. Everybody say what it is. It's what the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 verse 8 says this. Jesus said it. And when He has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will convince the world of its sin and of the availability of God's goodness and of coming judgment. The Holy Spirit's job. Jesus explained that the role of the Holy Spirit in an unbeliever's life is to come alongside them, to convict them of sin, to convince them of God's goodness and coming judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Before any of us were ever saved, the Holy Spirit came alongside of us and would convict us of our sin. That's not right. That's terrible. How dare you? That's awful. Right? Your inward conscience where the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You know, say, don't do that. That's not right. Stop that behavior. It also convinced you that you needed to change, that you need Jesus in your life, that you need God in your life. You would tell yourself, I need to get back to church. I need to go to church. It would also convince you of the coming judgment. You would, on occasion, have a fearful thought about what happens when I die, especially at funerals. Where will I go? And we try to evaluate, I'm a good person. But the Holy Spirit comes alongside. You see, it's God that stimulates our curiosity. He comes alongside. The Holy Spirit puts unbelievers in the hot seat and presses them hard. Kind of like a police investigator or a prosecuting attorney, right? That old song, the heat is on, right? Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Is what the song says. The Holy Spirit does that. 
Listen, without God initiating contact, through testimonies and friends and circumstances and the Holy Spirit, we would never stop to consider Him. Without God initiating contact through those things, we would never lift our eyes to look toward Him. Here's Zach, the worst of sinners. And he is being stirred by God to see who Jesus was. God stirred a curiosity in the worst of sinners' heart. Look at your neighbor and say, there's hope for us, right? And there was. In the worst of sinners' heart, he stirred a curiosity. And Zach, you know, Zacchaeus, was moved to go see who Jesus was. The stirring moved Zach to run ahead of the entourage and perch himself on a sycamore tree to see Jesus. He couldn't see him because of the crowd. Something stirred him to go out there. Then he got there and couldn't see over the crowd. So he runs ahead and he doesn't you know, just say, oh, forget it. I don't care anyhow. No, there's something stirring inside of him and he runs ahead and he perches himself in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Now guys, sycamore trees are short trees with Thick, sturdy, low-hanging branches. And maybe this was Zach's go-to place for every parade or car show or happening that happened down on the highway there. I don't know, but he went and he perched himself. Let's read the passage. Verse 4, so Zacchaeus, or Zach, ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, read this part out loud with me, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, that's the crowd, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is, uh, everybody say it, So when it comes to our salvation, Jesus takes the first steps. First, He draws us. Say it out loud. What does He do? He draws us. By ourselves, we wouldn't be interested. We wouldn't be attracted. But He stimulates us and He draws us. That's the first thing. But then, here's what the next thing Jesus does. He connects. Say it out loud. He what? He connects. Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Now, a lot of people were on a first-name basis with Zach. You know, the bouncer at the gentleman's club, the bartender at the saloon, the bookie at the track, the clerk at the pot shop, you know, the defense attorney knew his name, the city police knew his name, the town gossips knew his name. A lot of people were on a first-name basis with Zach. And I'm sure Zach never expected Jesus to know his name, but he did, and the Lord knows yours too. Our time with you is coming to an end today on The Simple Truth. We're so glad that you joined us for Pastor Dion's teaching in the Gospel of Luke. There's much more to learn from this narrative of Jesus' life, so we hope you'll tune in again. 
If you're listening in the Española area right now, we'd like to extend an invitation for you to join us for our weekly services at Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel. Come by at 9 or 11 a.m. to spend time with us in worship, Bible study, and fellowship with one another. We also meet on Wednesday evenings for a Bible study beginning at 7. You'll find directions and more information about Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel when you visit tmcalvary.com. If you can't make it in person, you can still join us virtually through Facebook Live. Just follow the link to our Facebook page at tmcalvary.com and tune in this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. While you're at our website, you'll also be able to access our archive of previous teachings on various books of the Bible by Pastor Dion. Just click on Sermons at the top of the page to open our audio archive or visit our YouTube page to experience the service through video. Feel free to share these links with anyone in your life that you think would benefit from hearing the simple truth of God's Word. We're so glad that you joined us today on The Simple Truth. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Luke and discover more about Jesus and what his life and ministry means to you. Then join us next time for Pastor Dion's continuing verse-by-verse study right here on The Simple Truth. You're the one that we proclaim. We'll be fools for you as you work in us. May your power show in the deeds we sow. Let us join our hands and together we stand. Together.